Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. Open up to Luke chapter 10. Put a marker in Matthew chapter 20. We're actually going to start in both of these passages as we finish up our Unusual Life series. For the last two months, we've been walking through the abundant life Jesus died to give us. And this just so happens to coincide with our vision statement as a church that we exist to see people saved, healed, set free, discipled, equipped, empowered. And this week, we're talking about serving. Now, a couple weeks ago, I did more of a deep dive into serving as believers, being our responsibility. This weekend, we're going to get even more specific about one of the best targets for serving that we have as Christians. We're going to talk about serving the poor. Now, if you read through the book of Proverbs, which happens to be one of my favorite books in the Bible, you will see that the word poor or, or that the poor referred to an awful lot all throughout the book. Most of us, when we hear the word poor, we think of one realm, right? The financial realm. When we hear that someone's poor, we think, oh, they don't have money. But if you did just a marginally shallow dive into what that word means in the Hebrew and the Greek, you would see money is nowhere mentioned in the definition of the term poor. The Bible talks about being poor in spirit. There are many ways we can be poor. Here's the the most simple and best definition of the word poor. Lowly or in great need. Now, how many of us, both campuses, have ever felt lowly or been in great need? Just put your hand up. Both campuses, just put it up high, keep it up. Okay, look around, poor people, all of us, poor. See, we, we, when we relegate this to merely a financial thing, we, we are minimizing the fact that we're all poor, we're all in great need. And if we don't understand what that word actually means, we are less inclined to serve those who are actually poor. Now, this message only has one point. All right? The title of the message is Here to Serve. Only one point. Five subpoints, but one point. And here's the point Open up your. If we're going to serve like Jesus served, we're going to have to open some things up in our lives in order to live like Him. That is the call of every Christ follower to live like Jesus. Here's the first thing, that if you're going to serve like him, you're going to have to open up your ears. You're going to have to open up your ears. Let's read together in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now remember, before we read this, many of us think this is a parable, right? A a, a made-up story. Most theologians believe strongly this was a true story. And the reason they believe that is the premise of the story to the Jewish people at the time would have been so outlandish, none of them would have believed it. And nowhere does Jesus say 
similar to how he would set up a parable. He doesn't do that. He says, there was. He just starts off. Now, some of his parables were similar to that. But as we get down into this, you will see Jesus is driving home a very clear point for all of us, not just the Jewish people at the time. But let's read together the story of the Good Samaritan starting in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you'll live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. Now, sometimes I think when we're reading scripture, we just breeze through stuff and we don't really feel the weight. Jesus replied with a story. Jesus told a story. Now, I want you to think about something. When you want someone to do something, what do you do? Don't overthink it. You tell them, right? Now, some of you spouses, you don't tell them. You expect your spouse to have some kind of telepathic power to just read your mind. And and your spouse is going, preach it right now, Preston. Tell him to write me a note or something. I can't read her mind like that. Okay? But most of us, we, when we want someone to do something, we tell them, right? Okay? Well, think about this. How well does it work in a relationship when one person tells the other what they want them to do, but the other isn't listening to it? How's that go over in marriage? Okay, Jesus is telling this story because he wants his followers to hear it and do it, all right? Now, here's the great thing about Jesus. Before we get, even get into the story that he tells, Jesus doesn't really operate in gray areas. He's black and white, all right? So flip over to Matthew chapter 20, and as it relates to serving, I want you to see, this is what I would call a calibrating comment that Jesus makes to all of his followers when he talks about serving. Verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20, but Jesus called them together, his disciples, and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, even I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is impossible to look like Christ without serving others. It's absolutely impossible. Think about what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I didn't come here for me. I came here for him. I'm here to do whatever he wants me to do. So this is how this translates to my followers. You're not here for you. You're here for me. You are here to serve. If anyone, Jesus is basically saying, had the right to come here to be served, it was me. But I didn't. I came to serve. How much more then should my followers be known and seen as servants all over the earth? 
I don't want you to be served. I want you to serve. Jesus starts his reply telling a story. We have to open up our ears to hear it. Here's the second thing that has to open up if we're going to serve like Christ. Our eyes. We have to open up our eyes. How many of us, when we pull up to a street corner, and there just so happens to be someone on the street corner with a sign begging for money, how many of us, if we're not in the right mood, pull up first in line at the street corner and pretend to be distracted as though we didn't see the person? We pick up our phone, some of us even fake like we're having a conversation on the phone. Just to remind us all, you know God is basically sitting in the passenger seat going, I know you just saw him. You can act like you didn't see him, but I know you saw him. Okay, why would any of us pretend like we didn't see someone in need? I'll tell you exactly why. We'll never meet a need we refuse to see. It's almost like if we pretend we didn't see it, we're not held accountable for it. And here's one of the things I've learned about people who love to serve needs. When you have been in need, it's easy to spot the needs of others. Now on the flip side, I'll say it this way, the longer it's been since you've been in need, the more challenging it can be to see a need. Some of us walk around and we think, oh, I don't have needs, I'm doing so well, everything's great, I don't have needs. Listen, every morning I wake up, I am in desperate need of Jesus Christ and all that comes with him. Every morning I wake up, I'm poor. Now I know I'm, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, but without him, I am completely poor. I am in need constantly. You know why that's a good thing to remember? Because when I remember that I am in need, I rarely walk past the needs of others when I see them. Now, watch this as we jump into this. Verse 30, Jesus tells the story, all right? He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, let's name him Preston, came along. But when Preston saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road. He didn't, think about it, get the picture here. The priest was walking on the same side of the road as the man who'd just been attacked. And the priest diverts to the other side of the road, almost like, nope, I didn't see that and passes the man by. This was a priest, a vocational minister. Verse 32, a temple assistant, thank God, walked by and looked at him, saw him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. We're all guilty of this. We've all done this before. Every one of us, Here's the big question, why would we ever do that? Well, I think there are three really big lies that we tell ourselves that keep us from serving those in great need. Let me give you the top kind of three lies from my vantage point that stifle our serving. Here's lie number one, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. 
Now, let me give you just a few one-liners on this one, all right? Time, as we call it, is a wall we build to insulate us from what we don't feel like doing. It's simply an excuse. Oh, I don't have time. Okay, just, just a thought, all right? If you have time for six hours of Netflix and chill during your week, I'm pretty sure you have time to once or twice during the week meet the needs of someone who is in great need. If I followed you around, someone who said, oh, I don't have the time. If I followed you around, I guarantee you I could find a few hours that you could spare. I'm sure this priest had something on his calendar that was pressing, that felt so important that he had no time to stop for this man in great need. And many of us are guilty of thinking that highly of our calendars. And if that's you, remember this. No plan you've made on your calendar is more important than a person God has put on your radar. Sometimes I think that we, we become slaves to our calendar rather than servants of Jesus Christ. And our calendar becomes Lord. But really, if you think about it, when we say, I don't have time, what are we actually saying? I don't have time for that. That's what we're really saying, right? Because we could make time if we wanted to. What we're actually saying is, I don't have time for that. You know what I think God's response is when we say, I don't have time for that? I honestly think the God of the universe looks me and you in the eyes and says, uh, excuse me, cupcake, you are here for such a time as this. Oh, I don't have time for this. God says, what? Excuse me? You are here right now for such a time as this. Here's the second lie we tell ourselves that keeps us from serving. I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy. I think it's Proverbs 11 that says, those who refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed? Here's another way to say that. You don't need energy to serve because real serving energizes. Real serving energizes you. You realize there are people who come and serve in the house of the Lord who have more energy to be here than people who are just attending, carrying less weight? And you want, you want me to let you in on the secret? It's not because they're stronger than anybody else. It's because before they walk into the house of the Lord, here's what I think happens to every person who volunteers in the house of the Lord. It's as though God says, hey, hey, before you go in, before you go in, hey, uh, there are a few people I would like to minister to today, and I'd like to use you. Would it be okay if via my Holy Spirit, I empowered you, strengthen you, energize you, gave you eyes to see and ears to hear more than you felt in some time and worked through you so I could minister to them. Would that be okay with you? How many of those people do you think go, God, that sounds dumb? No, they say, bring it on, right? Real serving doesn't drain energy or deplete energy. It actually increases energy, the Bible says. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. Oh, I don't have the energy. Here's lie number three. I don't have that gift. Other people have that gift. I don't have that gift. I used to use this one. I used to look at my wife and go, well, she has empathy. I don't. That's her gift, not mine. When I took the Finders test, I think there are 31 strengths. Guess where empathy fell for me? 
31. Okay, and you're probably thinking, what a horrible pastor. You're right, I've said it for years. She's a much better pastor than me. But you know what's amazing about empathy? The more you get hurt in life, the more empathy you have for others who are hurting. When I was 21, I didn't have much empathy at all. I've been through a few things. I got a lot more empathy now. But here's what's funny. Even if empathy isn't a strength of yours, you don't actually need a gift to serve those in need. You know what you need? A heart that beats in you and a savior who bled for you. That's what you need. If you have those two things, you have everything you need to meet the needs of those around you who are in great need. Look at verse 33. Thank God Jesus, as he tells this story, doesn't stop with the priest and the temple assistant. Luke 10, verse 33, Jesus says, then a despised Samaritan. Okay, before you just read right past that, do you know, at this day, in this day and time, what the Jewish people called the Samaritans? Half-breeds. When Jesus says despised, he means despised. There was massive racial tension between these two people groups. So much so, you could say they hated one another. Jesus said despised. They despised the Samaritans. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Interestingly enough, the priest and the temple assistant saw the man, but did nothing for him. The Samaritan saw the man, and what was different about the way he saw him? He felt something for him. One could make the case that you don't actually see the needs of those around you until you feel the weight of what they're feeling. He felt compassion for him. Which leads to the next thing that has to open up inside of all of us if we're going to serve the way Christ served. Our hearts are going to have to open up. Our hearts the reality is, serving can be done with your hands. But serving is at its best when it's done with your whole heart. Think about this. What does serving with your hands but not your heart look like? Obligatory service. I remember when Holly and I first got married, that, that devil woman had the gall to say to me one night, I need you to do the dishes. Can you even imagine? Here I am, like 23 years old, and I'm thinking, excuse me? Okay, I was an idiot, I'm just telling you. She said, I need you to do the dishes. I was like, fine, fine. I go into the kitchen, and I slam down the, the dishwasher door, trying to almost break it to send a message. I'm washing off the dishes, and not quietly, sweetly, putting them in there, I am shoving them in there, trying to break them, trying to let her hear, oh, I'm doing the dishes all right, didn't really do me any good. I got zero credit for doing that. You know what I've learned after almost 20 years of being married? That sometimes the best foreplay involves dishes and vacuum cleaners. <laughs> so now, 
when my wife says, hey, babe, can you do the dishes? I'm like, with my whole heart, you better believe I'll do the dishes. In fact, there are some days I just say to her, you need me to do the dishes tonight? Why? Because I learned when you serve just with your hands and not with your heart, it means nothing. It means nothing. If your heart is not involved with you when you serve, don't serve. Don't serve. Get your heart right. Because something supernatural happens when we open up our hearts to serve people. What happens? We don't just settle for the minimum amount of effort. We go above and beyond their expectations. Why? Because our heart is involved. Look at how this plays out in verse 34 of Luke chapter 10 with the Samaritan man. Going over to him, he soothed the wounds of the hurting man with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Okay, stop here for a second. Why olive oil and wine? Well, he used wine to disinfect the open wounds. Now think about this, for those of you who don't like blood, he had to get in there and get messy. I think some of us need to be reminded that serving people who are in great need is messy. And if I stay clean all the time, quote unquote, and my walk with Jesus Christ, I'm probably not walking in the places I need to be walking. The Samaritan man got his hands dirty. He disinfected the wounds. He got the blood of the other man on him. Now think about this. Here's another way to say this so that we're all reminded of the fact of what we're called to. You cannot provide comfort when you're afraid of being contaminated. I'm not just talking about blood. I'm talking about maybe someone is having some really heavy emotional issues and you're afraid to go too close or maybe there's some mental things at play and you're freaking out on the inside because you don't want to get too close to that. Listen, if Christ's followers won't get in there and get dirty, who will? Professionals who don't know Christ? Is that what we want? Like, are we going to relegate the ministry of being the hands and feet of Jesus to people who don't even know Jesus? I can't stand for that. Well, Preston, you're going to have to get dirty then. Well, so be it. A couple weeks ago, I was doing a hospital visit uh, with a man in our church. He had just come back from another country, and he had gotten some sickness, disease, and the doctors didn't know what it was. And I went in the first time to visit him, and he told me he sounded horrible when he talked, when he was breathing. It It was the closest thing, if you've ever been with somebody just before they pass, it was the closest thing to the death rattle that I've heard in someone who wasn't about to die. He sounded horrific, and he said they, did it. they took a picture of his lungs, and one of them was completely dark with all the junk in it, but they couldn't figure out what it was. They kept diagnosing him with this, giving him an antibiotic for it, and it wasn't working. So I visited him the first time, Brad and I went, and then a couple days later, I texted him, and I said, hey, uh, if you're up for another visit, just tell me what time, and I'll stop by. He says, yeah, that'd be great. But I should probably tell you, they think I'm contagious. And before I could even think about, wait a minute, I don't want to get sick like that. It was like I I heard the Lord strongly say, go. 
go. I'll go before you, you go. It's like, okay, so I text them back. I ain't afraid of no sickness. And on the way to the hospital, I was just praying over him, and I sensed the Lord say, when you go in, I want you to anoint him with oil. That's what scripture says. When you're sick, ask the elders to lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. I want you to anoint him with oil, and I want you to pray out loud that he'll get out of this hospital in 48 hours. And I went, that is crazy talk. Lord, they don't even know what he has. They now think he's contagious. 48 hours? Have you heard the guy talk? He sounds horrible. There's no way. And I'm wrestling with it. And I get in, and we, we chat for a little bit, and I didn't want to wear him out. And so I said, let me pray for you. And you know how when God's led you to do something, and then it gets time to do it, your heart starts, starts racing fast, you know? And you just feel like he gets ever more present in the room, looking over you like, you better do this right now, <laughs> you know? And so I'm feeling that, and I'm, I'm going, you're like, pastors feel that way? All the time we do, okay? My heart's racing. I'm like, I'm going to sound like a lunatic, Lord, if I pray this out loud. 48 hours? He's going to think I'm the one on cough medication. I'm praying, and I just say, God, you are the divine healer. I pray you miraculously do whatever needs to be done so that he could get up and walk out of this hospital in 48 hours or less. It sounds silly, but I had to wrestle through doing that because all the facts pointed to something completely different than that outcome. Two days later, I get a text. And it's from this guy and he says, hey, just got dismissed from the hospital, just like you prayed two days ago. Okay, listen. It, it wasn't me. I didn't do anything. Here's the point I'm trying to get across to you. I would have missed out on that if I was afraid of getting what he had. I'd have missed out on that. God did something for me, not just for him, simply because I had the guts to get in there and even if I caught what he had, okay, God, you'll be with me. I didn't. He was released, God got all the glory. But I would have missed out on all of it if I would have been like the priest and the temple assistant and gone, I don't see that, he's contagious. Get behind me, Satan. Listen, why did I do it? Well, of course, because I felt like the Lord said to do it. But my heart was involved. The thought of no one visiting him was not good. We have to be willing to go. You cannot soothe what you're afraid to touch. And I promise you, God will work through you when you cross the dividing line of what you're afraid of touching. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's mental, maybe it's physical, maybe it's financial because you're afraid God's gonna ask you to, to give money to the person and you, you feel you can't afford to do it. Whatever your reason for staying on this side, cross over. Open up your heart and see what God does. Now, how many of us have ever felt God comfort us in a time of need? Just put your hand up, both campuses. Okay, look around. Lots of us, right? Let me show you in Scripture why 
God comforts you. Because many of you might be thinking, well, the reason God comforts me in a time of need is because he loves me. Yes, that's true, but that's not the only reason God comforts you. Let me show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. How much of our affliction? All of our affliction. Now, why? Does he comfort us in all of our afflictions? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God comforts you, not just so you'll be comforted, but so you will be comforting. He doesn't just do it because he loves you. He does it because he wants you to provide the same comfort to those who are in distress, those in great need. And listen, somebody who has felt that comfort from God, who's been comforted by God, is always quick to provide comfort. And don't you love it when someone comes in at just the right time, when you feel lowly, beat down, overwhelmed, distressed, in great need? Don't you love it? when someone notices your need and comes in to comfort you? Think about the last time you were in a position like that and someone comforted you. This is what Christ is calling us to do. And think about this just from a business vantage point. Think of how brilliant this is as a strategy to grow the kingdom. People who are in distress, who are in great need, make incredible candidates to encounter the God who meets all needs and comforts in all affliction. Why would we sit on the sidelines and not get involved in making sure the two meet? When the heart's involved, we don't stay on the sideline. We jump in there and we serve beyond what they expect. Here's the fourth thing that has to open up, your hand. If you're gonna serve like Jesus, your hand has to open up. Here's what this means. Real serving requires real sacrifice. Look in verse 35 of Luke 10. The next day, the Samaritan handed the innkeeper two silver coins, a couple days wages, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Sacrifice. This man didn't just put him on his donkey and walk alongside of him, didn't just apply olive oil and wine, both having expenses. He takes him to an end and says, no matter what the bill is to restore this man to health, you make sure I get it and I promise I'll pay it. Sacrifice, real serving requires real sacrifice. Now, here's a big question. Because when we talk about sacrifice, many of us start to think about what it costs us, what we lose because of sacrifice. So here's a big question. Who lost the most in the story of the Good Samaritan? Was it the Samaritan who was out the most money? No, it wasn't at all. The priest and the Levite lost far more by their neglect than the Samaritan lost by his concern. Just like I would have lost out had I not visited the hospital, 
with that man. The priest and the Levite were the ones who lost the most in this story. If we're going to serve like Christ, think about this for a minute. There would be no salvation were it not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, true or false. It is because of his sacrifice. Okay, then why, when God asks us to sacrifice, to meet the needs of those in great need around us, are we surprised? We're called to be Christ followers. He sacrificed the single greatest sacrifice in all of human history, then why don't we get more excited when God calls us to sacrifice for those in great need? Maybe it's a financial sacrifice. Maybe it's an energy sacrifice. Maybe it's emotional sacrifice. Maybe it's just a, a time sacrifice. I don't know what the sacrifice will be, but I promise you this. If you're really going to serve, you're really going to have to sacrifice. Isn't just, we're not just talking about handing somebody $5 on a street corner. Somebody asked me last night, you know, so when you encounter somebody on a street corner, do you always stop and give them money? I said, no, I'd be broke. But at the very least, every time you encounter someone in need, what should a Christ follower do? At the very least, I pray for them in my car. I pray God would rip open the windows of heaven and overwhelm them with his most extravagant blessings. I pray that if they don't know him, that they would encounter him face to face. Listen, at the very least, we can do that, right? We have to open up our hand. If we're really gonna serve people, we're gonna have to really sacrifice. But here's the good news. Here's the last thing that needs to open up if we're gonna serve like Christ. Both hands, not just your hand, your hands. Let me show you two scriptures and we'll be done. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor, those in great need, whoever gives to the poor will lack, how much? That was weak. How much will they lack? If we actually believe that, I think we would serve the needs of those in great need around us a whole lot more. Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to poverty will be cursed. How about Proverbs 19, verse 17? This goes even further. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. Think about this for a minute. Go back to when you were a kid, and you, you, you and your friends went to the gas station on your bikes to get some treats, and one of your friends didn't have money. And what would happen as you guys were all checking out? They would still grab stuff, even though they didn't have money, right? They get a Slurpee, not just a candy bar, because if they get a Slurpee, now someone's going to have to pay for that Slurpee, right? So they get a Slurpee and a candy bar. They, they go to the register, and what would they say to you? Because they really wanted this, but they didn't have the money for it. What would they say to you? Hey, can I borrow some cash? Can I borrow some money? And what would they say if they really wanted it? I promise I'll pay you back. But what would they say if they really, really wanted it? I promise I'll pay you back with interest. The more badly they wanted something, and this, where the, this is where the capitalist in me made bank. 
I promise I'll pay you back with interest. You're right, you'll pay me back in interest, 100% interest, by tomorrow. Give me my cash. I promise I'll pay you back with interest. Break that down for a minute. Why would they say such a thing? Because they desperately wanted what they were trying to receive. Jesus is saying, here's how badly I want you to serve those in great need. I'll pay you back. And what is his interest payment that scripture says? Those who give up anything for my sake will receive a hundredfold return in this life and the life to come. That's his interest policy. He says, here's how badly I want you to serve those around you. Every time you do it, you're doing it for me. But not just that. With one hand you will sacrifice, but with two hands you will receive my response. Now, I'm not telling you that so that you'll serve to get something. I'm trying to help you understand just how serious Christ is about you meeting the needs of the people around you. He says, when you do that, I'll pay you back. Because I really, 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 really want this. I'll pay you back with interest. About six or seven weeks ago, Holly called me. And she was frantic, which she is never frantic. I didn't know what was wrong, and so I'm trying to make sure everybody's okay. She said, babe, everybody's all right, but we have a situation. So, okay, what's going on? She said, one of my blooms. Now, Holly runs a ministry at our church called Embrace Grace, where she and some other ladies have a two-month process where they walk young women who are experiencing unplanned pregnancies through a process, and at the end of the two months, they throw a baby shower for these girls, and the people of our church buy everything on their registry. One of the coolest things we do as a church. Holly said, baby, one of my blooms, that's what they call the women, one of my blooms is in a situation right now, and they're taking her baby away from her. And she just called me and she said, it's me. I'm the only person she trusts to take the baby. Babe, what do I do? And I said, honey, do what you do. This is what God made you to do. Get the baby. They did background checks on the way to our house. In less than three hours, we had a six-month-old baby in our home. And we'll have him for at least 12 months. Now listen, this was not what I planned. Like our youngest is 12, about to be 13. We haven't done bottles and diapers in over a decade. But what do you do when someone is in great need? Even if it inconveniences you, even if it keeps you up at night, even if it affects your marriage, what do you do? Do you get that phone call and say, I'm sorry, I can't be bothered right now? Or when the God of the universe picks up the phone and calls you and says, listen, I need you. I've got someone in great need that I want to love on and I want to use you. What do you do? Hang up the phone? Or do you stand up and say, here I am, Lord, use me. I don't know how it's going to inconvenience me. I don't know what it's going to do, but I don't even care because I'm not going to focus on what I'm going to lose. I'm going to focus on what you're going to do through me. This is what God's called us to do. Don't you dare call it being inconvenienced. 
God doesn't call it inconveniencing. He says, this is how I use my children. And here's what Jesus says to all of us. Are you one of my followers? Yes, Jesus. I'm one of your followers. Well, Preston, I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve. Are you here for you, son? No, Lord. I'm here for you. And what does that mean? That means we open up our arms and we help any person in great need. And we do our best to show them the love of the God of the universe who sent his son to die on a cross for them. The church of Jesus Christ, his bride, needs to be known for serving those who are in great need. And I want our church to be known for looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm here to serve. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.